0: soul by the way tonight friends oh uh, yeah that's a very uh, that's a very very uh, unpopular word I, I'm sorry I brought that up uh, uh, does anyone actually have a soul we could uh, you of course are aware that many of the uh, philosophers of the 19th century and even the 18th century argued endlessly as to the location of the soul where it was located in the body and uh, one one group, yes, one group of uh, philosophers held that it was located in the pineal gland. Uh, yes, I, I, I hold for that. Another group uh, held for the pancreas, and uh, then there was another group that held for somewhere else. But uh, that's another story, and we're not going to get into the Freudians at this time. We're going to save that for next semester. We got a lot of stuff for next semester. All together now, gang. Uh, no, uh, I know it. I'm going
1: to sleep out in the kitchen with my feet in the hall. Oh, I'm going to drink muddy water, baby, until you come next to me. Oh, I'm going to sleep in the kitchen with my feet in the hall. Going to drink muddy water down that old rotten, rotten, crummy, stinking river. Going to drink muddy water, because you're done. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 wah. wa 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 wah all wa 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 Wah 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 wah. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 What happened?
0: Uh, very exciting. Any more Americana, we would be more than pleased to. That comes out of the tradition, you know. Uh, <laughs> speaking of it coming out, I can just see already now endless little old days. Dear Mr. Shepard, my husband Charles and I enjoy your program, but when you begin to sing and do those awful, noisy, terrible things, and you, we just have to rush to the radio and turn down. Are set. I can not understand why you do these things. You're continually. I love it when you read poetry and you sing, quiet music. I'll never forget. <laughs> Hold it. Whew. Terrible thing here. It's separating the sheep from the goats. You know. Speaking of goats, would someone please look up "soul" for me? Would you please look that word up. I wish I had this uh, this Underbridge dictionary. Do you do you know uh, Do you know what the the actual Definition of soul is that's S O L E soul. I'd uh, <laughs> like to. Uh, you know, speaking of soul, the other day, I, I don't know whether any of you've seen this. There's some very mysterious things afoot. Very mysterious. Do you know Bryant Park at all, Ed? No, 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 no. You're you're completely missing my point. Do you know where Bryant Park is at Forty First there and Sixth uh, Avenue? Well, there's a great big H and H sign there. You know that big horn and hard art sign? Well, if you look right next to that sign, way up there on this billboard, uh, right next to the horn and hard art sign, written in great big black letters, uh, is the very simple, sneaky, significant slogan. Now, it may be a political slogan. I don't know. All it says is a simple two-letter phrase, which is right out of George Orwell. I'm going along, you know, and I look up in George horn and hard and it says... Uh, Mother helps best, or the best thing for mother. What is the horn and hard art slogan? Uh, less work for mother, yes. Less work for mother. And uh, I'm walking along, and the less work, and a lot of mothers are staggering around. I don't know whether you know the neighborhood at all, but it's a pretty interesting neighborhood. And I, I come along there, and I see this big sign, and I, I glance up, and there it is right there next to the old H&H sign is that simple, I think we need dramatic music here, Eddie. Simple dramatic music.
1: Tum, t-tum, t-tum. City.
0: Be suspicious. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, that's what it says, just some be suspicious. Is there anybody out there who's suspicious tonight, huh? Quack, 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 hold it there. That's enough, that's enough, enough of that suspicious music. Uh, oh, yeah, there are all kinds of interesting things in the wood. Be suspicious. Hmm. Wouldn't that make a great bumper slogan? <coughs> <laughs> of our time, <laughs> just be suspicious. Well, of course, there's, there's a lot of reasons to be suspicious because there's a lot of wild things going on all over the place. Uh, I, I'm still getting reports. Uh, of course, I, I believe that last Christmas was a historic Christmas. It marked a new a, new, a whole new phase in, uh, well, I, I don't want to call it a Christmas celebration. What is it? It's a whole new phase in American culture, this, this past Christmas, and I think that things are beginning to develop and very nicely. Ed, would you please give me mysterious music, and I will put on my Westbrook Fonvori's voice. Nine hundred spectators see huge pile of yule trees burn. Delayed one day by high winds, the burning of the greens made its gigantic flaming appearance before an estimated 900-person Sunday night at the Hill School, Farfields, New Jersey. Ignited by Mayor John B. Hartenstein, Jr., the 25-foot pile of 3,700 Christmas trees was reduced to ashes in an hour and a half as lively music blared from a sound truck. The tree burning came a day late as high winds forced a postponement Saturday night. George Gontart, director of the event for the J.C.s, considered the tree collection and burning a definite, and we quote, success. And he said that the J.C.'s would sponsor the spectacular spectacle next year. He added that the group may stage the drive a few days later next year, probably 12 days after the yuletide holiday, in order to gain more trees so that higher flames could reach to the skies. Can't hurt, said battle fire chief Richard Moser. Considered the blaze one of the biggest he had seen. 900 people gathered to watch. At one point, the burning trees sent flames 60 feet into the crisp night air. Wow! Wow! Wow, wow, wow! Oh, boy. 900. Spectators see huge pile of yule trees burn in symbolic display. Be suspicious. Be...
1: Keep your eye peeled. Don't believe
0: anyone. Look back over your shoulder now. Someone may following I'm sorry mr. Shepherd you could have been so dignified on your radio program if you decided to do it because otherwise you're such a nice person now, speaking of dignified nice people this is W.O.R. your dignified nice station And uh, we'll be here until midnight being dignified and nice. And we have some promo spots here, which means freebies. Uh, Let's see. Here's one right here. Uh, The Lighthouse, the New York Association for the Blind, if you would like to contribute. New York 22, New York. We have another one here. Federated Handicap. What's this one? Uh, Oh, if you have a job vacancy, remember to call Federation's Placement Service, telephone Chelsea 29050. That's the... Federation of the Handicapped. And here is one for the foster parents' plan. If you're interested in adopting a child, Box 944, New York 8. That's the foster parents' plan. Now, uh, let's see. Oh, here's one that is not a freebie. It is the Mandarin House. And uh, a couple of nights ago, I went to the Mandarin House and got myself bombed out of my skull on... Um, what is that fish? It is twice cooked pork, but there's something else that they have there. Uh, a kind of sautéed fish that is in tiny chips with fantastic sauce. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, I'm sitting there getting myself uh, primed to the guilds, and I realize that, that uh, among the world's... I, I think most people in the world, actually, are very, very unadventurous when it comes to eating. It's the truth. Uh, I don't know why Greeks, when they come to America, immediately rush to a Greek restaurant to eat bad Greek food, <laughs> with every, you know, with all the great hamburgers we've got available here in America, and all, of, all the exotic things like hot dogs that are available, they go and eat Greek, you know, what is this? So I would like to suggest, if, if, uh, if your life is getting dull, and you would like an extra thrill or two, and you'd like to get mad, I would suggest you visit Mandarin House. Uh, it, uh, it is true, people are very, very conservative when it comes to food, and uh, if you have not tried Mandarin food, you haven't really tried Oriental food. Not really Oriental, Oriental, Oriental food. And uh, there are two great Mandarin House restaurants, one on 13th between 6th and 7th, and the other one is up on 2nd Avenue just north of 57th Street. And very shortly they will be open. Very shortly, by the way, they're going to start celebrating uh, New Year's, uh, uh, Chinese New Year's. Upcoming is the Year of the Dragon, which is supposed to be a spectacular year. And uh, I'm going to go down and celebrate it dragon meat. So uh, that's Mandarin House. They have a bar. Now, that's it. Oh, oh yes. Uh, speaking of being suspicious, uh, the, the moments come. Have you ever had a feeling when you're walking along, I had, I had one of those eerie moments today, of a kind of remembered emotion. Now, I don't mean, you know, the, the more common, the most common thing, of course, is to is to be sitting in a place and suddenly you get the illusion that you know what's about to happen that you've seen this scene before, and it's just a brief, momentary thing. It's very eerie while it happens, uh, and then after it passes, you uh, you know you can say, oh well, well, and you try to think, well, well, why did I know that? And you you never can quite understand why it was. You know that thing, Ed. Of course, you realize that little thing that happens to people it happens to everybody, and that little thing. Uh, is the basis of about 95 religions. <laughs> it's the basis of about 500 different metaphysical philosophies. It's the basis of fist fights. It's the basis of of many a Swami and guru who operates a little place off of, uh, off of 47th Street on the west side. And these things have bugged people forever. But have you ever had the feeling, or, or at least recently, I know that you've had the feeling, oh, here, let's see, soul is now defined soul. Soul let's see i wonder if this fits anything that you have here i'm glad to see this now wait a minute uh informing is that word informing dear your writing sometimes has a tendency to spread out the ends and the us and all of those the w's all look like little things just little waves let's see informing the inner man's and emotion all right here is the soul now let's we will see whether we have a soul i think i need uh i i need some kind of good soul music here uh, would you please look in my uh, 50 Fantastic Moments of uh, Mediocre Music, and um, I think you'll find some good soul music there. Just just drag it out. Uh, I, I, well, uh, soul music is... Uh, yeah, well, that's not really soul music. Now, don't confuse uh, Waltz of the Floor. <laughs> no, I think soul music would have to be Beethoven. I I suspect it's Beethoven. Of course, unfortunately, the Beethoven that we have with us always has a hang-up. So, Ed, if you'll set him about a a line and a half in there, he won't get hung up on that first big phrase. Yes, all right, all set. Soul music. All ready? All right. Yes, that's soul music. Soul. An entity conceived as the essence, substance, animating principle, or actuating cause of life or of the individual life especially of individual life manifested in thinking, willing, and knowing. It is regarded as immortal and separable from the body at death, the physical or spiritual principle in general, especially as informing the universe, man's moral and emotional nature. That's the soul. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I remember I had that. I had one of those. I remember Miss Shields one time saying that to us in second grade. Uh, yes, uh, we, we just finished. Uh, I remember uh, uh, what happened was uh, there was a line in Little Orphan Ann. No, it was uh, it was uh, there was a line that was in uh, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. I think Andy, when he discovered the balloon fairies coming down from the trees riding their balloons, no, said, Pon my soul!" And uh, Miss Shields used to give us tests on uh, various points of interest along the route in the Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy stories. Yes. Now, what did the balloon fairy say when he saw uh, Raggedy Ann uh, taking off her shoes at the lake to go wading in after frogs? Well, you would write down, oh, my, there is someone wading after frogs. And uh, you write that down. Well, one of the kids, I, mean, I think it might have been Joshua, asked Miss uh, Shields, what, m- what is a soul? Uh, he came from a very atheistic family. Oh, boy, I could tell you some stories about that crew, but that's another time. And uh, he says, what is a soul, Miss Shields? Miss Shields then said, an entity conceived as the essence, substance, animating principle, or actuating cause of life itself. Well, that kept us going until sixth grade. And, uh, of course, it slowly died down. <laughs> and uh, we got other problems. Now. But uh, along, along that scenic route, uh, this scenic route of existence. I have you had recently the feeling of a memory of a particular emotion. Well, let me tell you a little weirdo that happened to me today. A very a little weirdo. Yes, uh, I am. I am meeting a guy, and uh, and we, we were walking along, and we came to the Medical Arts Building. Do you know the Medical Arts Building, up on Fifty Seventh Street? Uh, and 6th Avenue. Well, this is a very official building where they have all kinds of official places that have to do with medicine. They have a hospital and all. It's a very official place, and x-rays and all that stuff. And right in the, in the lobby of the Medical Arts Building, there is a line of telephone booths. Now, to those of you who do not live in New York, a telephone booth is the very lifeblood of a New Yorker. One of the more amusing sights is to look along Madison Avenue. They have these little glass phone booths about every two blocks. As far as you can look, there is a gesticulating, angry phone caller. <laughs> or, 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 and, there is a drunken phone caller who has fallen asleep in the booth with the thing hanging down, and he's laying with his head on the little shelf there. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a common New York site. One of the more interesting New York sites that you, first, you, you really don't see outside of New York. Is the site where they have the phone booths in some drugstores plastered up against the window. And you see people in various fetal shapes. Yes, will you look in through the window? Haven't you seen those people? You haven't. I'm sorry, honey. You don't get around New York. Will you walk along, and, and there in the window is about nine people all bent over in the telephoning or fetal position? which should have bend over, the little phone is cradled on one ear, and their other hand is over the other ear, and they're sort of leaning over, and you can see a whole bunch of them like little shrimp in a, in a can. <laughs> they're New Yorkers, all in touch with home base, and all, of course, in the prenatal or fetal position, which <laughs> That's a very dangerous one. Have you noticed the phone company's new, uh, new motto? Well, uh, the new motto—it it hit me right today. After I had made an unsuccessful phone call, Ed, I made a business phone call and I got this guy on the phone. You know, I figured I'm going to close the deal, and so I dialed the number and I said, "Hello, Charlie, it's Old Shep." And there's a brief note. He says, "Yeah." I says, "Yeah. How is it?" He says, "You don't have to ask, man. You laid another egg. Plunk, right there." Well, I said, ha, ha, ha,
1: "Well, I just thought I <laughs> Well, uh, uh, let's have look." Huh?
0: Another silence. Oh, let's have lunch, huh? He's gone. I got his girl. Oh well, uh, she says okay. Well, that isn't exactly what I was looking for. Well, right in front of me, after I'd had this, after I'd laid this bomb in the phone booth, there is a line on the wall in clear phone company print. It says, on the telephone, you'll get action. Come on, bring up some action music, man. <laughs> On the phone, you get action. I'll say, indeed, he won't. Well, anyway, I'm—I am I I, know I hate to digress, but I'm—I'm I'm with this guy. See, so he says, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, oh. He looks at his watch. Oh, 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 my God, I gotta make a phone call. So he rushes in, and, and in the in the uh, lobby there of the medical arts building, there's about nine phone booths. they all, and and as befitting the kind that would be in the medical arts building. They're a kind of different color than they are anyplace else. They have a sort of vaguely uh, wooden-y color. They don't look like stainless steel like they look another. No, they're painted a kind of a casket color, you know. It's very, yeah, it's very strange. So, so yeah, that's true. Uh, place is very symbolic. W-O-R, believe me, is at war with the world. It is no, no, believe me, it's no coincidence that all our walls are battleship gray around here. No coincidence at all. Believe me, <laughs> uh, we, we drift in the right direction here. But nevertheless, I go into this place with this guy, saying, we're standing in the lobby. Well, there's about 95 different elevators coming down from the medical arts place, and you see guys hobbling in and guys with bandages and guys with patches over their eyes, and little old ladies are going in and out. And I'm just standing there minding my own business. The guy's in there on the phone. When suddenly the, the thing opens up there, one of the elevators, and three nurses get out and they're obviously nurses, they're they're knocking off for their coffee break and three of them advance towards me and they're wearing the little white things, you know, the little white hats and right next is the Rikers, you know they're going to go in the Rikers, so the three of them are coming out, they're lighting up cigarettes, coming out of the medical arts building they're lighting up the cigarettes and one of the nurses, a fantastic little blonde chick with this little white hat on her head, you know, the little blue tab, and a very official-looking, fantastic little nurse comes out with with sort of sort of overtones of uh, Romy Schneider, you know, little overtones of, of Bridget Bardot, and a little touch of Doris Day, and the little Lolita, and it's all there, you know, and that that unbelievable attraction of the white uniform. I know this is this there's some. I, I just cannot describe to you. Men know this. I don't know whether women know it. But it is the, it is the, uh, the indescribable erotic pull of the white uniform. Yes. <laughs> Look at Ed's glasses suddenly lighting up. It's the first time in a month. Well, uh, yes, I don't know whether women know this or not, but it is definitely true. I, I would suggest that any chick that's having trouble get herself a white uniform. Believe me. And so I'm standing there, you know, I'm minding my own business, and I can hear my friend in there on the phone. He says, no, I, uh, And I'm trying to look like I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, oh, it's awful to be around where somebody's having a knockdown battle with somebody, and it's very embarrassing, and it's a very private battle, you know, that kind well, I told you to get rid of the uh, uh, And they're yelling. And I, I, have you ever gone into a phone booth, and in the next phone booth there is a, is a fantastic private conversation that's being held at, at top screaming voice? Oh. And, and, and there's another thing about telephones. Have you ever sat in there and dialed somebody? And you're, you're waiting for your number. You see them finding... And they pick it up and they say, Okay, just a minute, we'll get them. And you're sitting there on the phone and it's silence. And then suddenly you begin to hear a subterranean conversation. It's leaking from the other one. And you start listening real carefully and you catch one or two words. And you're waiting, and then all of a sudden, on comes Charlie, and he says, hello? And just, shh, just a minute. So what's the matter with you? You figure any minute now, you're going to get the, 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 the terrible, lascivious secrets, you know. Some awful revelation of, of obscenity is going to be bad. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, one night one night, I'm in the phone booth, and there's a guy in the next booth. Uh, and, and, and really, I, I didn't know whether to run out and get a cop or not. This guy, yeah, this guy gets on the phone and he's, he's he, it's all excited. You know, there's a, phone booths are very tricky. They give you a sense of privacy that is really very much of an illusion. And I'm in this phone booth and the guy next to me, it's right down here on Times Square in the Leggett's drugstore, he starts yelling and it turns out that he is in the pop trade. Yes, and he's been yelling on the phone. <laughs> and he says, well, I told him, what do you mean
1: I was busted two months ago? What do you expect me to do now? What? Why, what are you talking about? How can I get that kind of dough up now? What do you mean? Tony, Tony,
0: don't give me Tony! How many times? And all the while, like people walking, down, and I see this fuzz drifting over. You know, he's beginning to get the message. And you, And I'm waiting. You know, I, I figure the whole the whole bank of phone booths are going to get busted. All of us, you know, run in. Well, I, I, today I'm standing there trying to. You know, I'm looking up in the sky, and my friend is yelling behind me, and an old lady's in the next booth, and she's screaming. And there's a young chicken, and another one. And she's crying. You know, and all it's all going on. The the whole the whole gamut of human misery and I'm standing there and these chicks get out of the elevator, the three nurses, and they walk towards me. And I'm first paying no attention when well, I look, see, there's the automatic attraction of these white uniforms. You see, One of them was fat, one of them was skinny, and one of them was really high-octane. Well the little one who was high-octane gives me a look right in the eyeball, and there was this sudden spark, you know, all of a sudden there's a, ooh. there, there was the unmistakable glint there, you know. That, that <laughs> it just that it kindled and all of a sudden she says hello doctor what me yeah me see me I realized then it was a case of mistaken identity I suspect it's my beard and my wonderful humane benign appearance that makes her do this you see this 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 great humane look and and I and I looked at her and she says, hello doctor how are things going and and with that I says, well well hi hi gee uh, how have you been well, she started to walk, and suddenly she turns, and she says, how did it turn out? I said, how did it turn out? Uh, oh, very well, very well. She said, I know you, I just knew you would pull it off. I just had faith in you. <laughs> oh, boy, and, you know, she's just got that look, and, and suddenly I saw myself as this majestic brain surgeon, I have just done this spectacularly difficult operation. I have removed one complete lobe from, from one of the greatest atomic scientists of the world. I've tied all the sutures together, and there she is sitting up there in the balcony cheering. I knew you'd pull it off. I had faith in you. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> I did. What did you say? You know, uh, I said, well, thank you very much. And I, was, I played it very good. She said, I said, thank you very much. And she said, uh she said, gee, it's, it's good to see you. You know, I could see she wanted to carry it. She wanted to make a scene here, you know. And there, obviously there had been something going on between this chick and this doctor. I could just see it. You know, a man knows the look in the eye, right, Ed? And here it was me, you know, old me. And she says, gee, uh, gee, it's good to see you, uh, doctor. It, it really is good to see you. Uh, gee, uh, do you get, do, do you come do you come in often anymore? I hardly ever see you around here, uh, gee, uh... It's good to see you." And I said, well, it's very good to see you. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, what what should I call her, Betty, or or dear, or girl, or what is it? It's good to see you. uh, uh, and my friend is in, in the next room, you know, and all of a sudden, he opens the door, boom, he slams it again, got a nickel, for God's sake, you got a nickel, and I, you know, so whoever it is is going to hang up on him, you see? and then you hear the little phone going, dung, 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 it's going, give me a nickel, will you? I say, here, 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 and I give him a nickel, and by that time, Betty's looking kind of funny, you know, and I, I give the guy a nickel, boing, boing, boing. Well, I turn back, and she says, well, doctor. Uh, She says, Dr. it really was wonderful, wonderful to see you, and and, uh, just great to see you. And they go into those big glass swinging doors, and I could see her talking to these two nurses, and they look back with great looks of admiration in their eyes, and they make the corner turn into Rikers. Well, I want to tell you I felt 30 feet high, 30 feet high. I could see myself pulling impossible patients through, impossible, terrible, debilitating diseases. I just sort of stood there, and and out my friend, he is purple in the face by now, and his eyeballs are sweating, and he's yelling. I can hear his throat gruff and screaming. He comes out of the phone booth, and he looks at me, and he says, What's the matter with you, you funny look on your face? See, it was carrying over. You know how a flywheel, the mad, carries over. I said, What's the matter, Jack? I've got this nutty look in my eye, I suppose, you know, the great brain surgeon there. And uh, he says, What's the matter? I said, Oh, boy, wow. Oh, man. Uh, What a couple. Oh, boy. Uh, with that, I said to him, how about a cup of coffee, huh? Would you like a cup of coffee? He said, I don't have any time. For God's sake, I don't have any time. Quick, let's get on, get a cab. <laughs> and we're out on the street, and he's yelling and running around for cabs. And 30 seconds later, I'm on my way uptown. He's, all oh, boy, what? And I just sat there with my old eyeballs going, you know. Scalpel, please. Searcher. Three degrees, more oxygen. And there is Betty. Lovely Betty in her lovely little white uniform, great blue eyes of admiration and romance, the savior of the human race, me. <laughs> ah, well, it's a funny thing. I'm, uh, I'm in this uh, cab, and there was a nagging sense, a nagging sense of recognition. You know what is it, recognition? Recognition that something like this had happened to me before and uh and it was an emotion and i finally uh, let this guy out and i went on and i finally got off the cab and i'm walking and it hit me like a shot boom i know when it was i really do you know one of the things about doing the kind of show that i do every night night after night is you get to be the world's most analyzed man <laughs> i mean the world's most completely analyzed oh by the way speaking of analyzed uh before we go any further, and, and to uh, to allay any confusion, uh, starting the 10th of February, and this is official, the, the, starting the 10th of February, the time of our show, the time of me, is going to be moved from this time to one hour earlier, 10.15 to 11. And the reason this is so is because in, in the past uh, six or seven months or certainly in the last three or four years even about one out of every two letters come in and people all say if you could be on one hour earlier and uh, that's what we've done so from now on beginning the 10th of february we will be on the air from 10:15 until 11 which will enable a lot of people who can only hear us on the weekends uh, can, can once in a while drop in on wednesday now uh, if, if you know anybody else who listens who will not hear this uh, mention it to them, because I, you know what's going to happen. The people are very funny about radio. Uh, I will meet guys on the street one year after we have made the change, guys who listen have listened for like nine years. You see them say, what's happened to you? You're not on the air anymore. What happened to you?" <laughs> and and or and and this is the most interesting one. One and a half years from now, I will meet guys who will swear that they hear me every night at 11:15. Every night, there are guys I meet on the street today who claim that they hear me at four in the morning. They do. They say, oh, you're on all night, aren't you? I have been on all night since I was a pup, and I was losing my milk teeth. Well, anyway, speaking of milk teeth, uh, I have to finish the story because it was a wild scene. I'm sitting, I'm sitting then in an office, trying to look very official. And, and have you ever sat and listened to a scheme by guys that are outlining a scheme to you, and you know it's balderdash and a yard wide, and nothing is ever going to come of it, and somehow you're caught up in it, and you're saying, yeah, yeah, and then what we'll do is we'll call, (laughs) and and it's just like you're playing some nutty Monopoly game, and you're trying to pretend, and you find yourself being dragged into it, and everybody's running in and out with papers, yeah, I'll tell you what we do. I called Joe, and I got Joe on the phone, and uh, listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's call Ashley Steiner. We'll call William Morris. And it's a, you know, and, and I'm sitting in one of these things, and I'm trying to play the game, you know, I'm trying to go along with what's going on. I have no interest at all in it, because this thing is bugging me. Where did I have this emotion before? The scene of the girl, the scene of the nurse, yeah, and it had nothing to do with the girl. I knew that, you know, you start separating it. No, it had something to do with something else. It was, it was, it was, it was mistaken identity. That's what it was. It was somehow being given rank. That's what it is! And I'm sitting there, and these guys are listening. They're trying to talk. I said, that's what it is! It's right! I know what it is! Ah! Well, I, I, I leave the guys immediately, and I'm walking down the street, and I'm thinking back one of the great moments in my, in my time. I, uh, it happened, Ed, it happened when I was in the Army. And uh, the Army, of course, uh, does a lot of things to people. And one of the things that it does to people, I think, more than anything else, it gives guys in general, it gives, two, it gives you two feelings. Uh, and, and, and the two feelings are, are really uh, supposedly at war with one another, and I, and I think they really are. One feeling is a, a, a peculiar sense of a non, a anonymity, a kind of sense of being molded into a great mass, a kind of sense of being put into a gigantic marching phalanx where you somehow have no responsibility, you're just in this big thing, and it's a kind of feeling of warmth and being enclosed and the whole bit. All right, now that's the one thing that you get in being in the army. And anybody who's been in the army recognizes that that strange feeling, especially if you've been, if you've been in more than, uh, oh, a couple of years, and you begin to be really assimilated into it. Then the other part of the army, of course, is the opposite of that. You have a sense of being erased. You have a sense of somebody has, ta- somebody has taken a pencil Uh, you know, the eraser, and they've just erased your name off the roll of humanity, and they've written down Uh, 16098946, U.S. Army Reserve, period, that's it, that's it. And and more than that, even the number is is chopped up when they make it into a pin number. So you're at war all the time. There is the one side of you that says, gee, this is great, no responsibility, and the other side, look at me, I'm a nothing. And so you have these two things that are constantly battling within you in the Army. Well, one night, I am in West Palm Beach, and this was at the very height of war, absolutely. I I don't know whether many of you actually remember uh, being in America and being in the Army and being in in a wartime town in the very peak of war, but it's a very strange experience. And West Palm Beach at that time, uh, since the, the, the ocean is right there, and the Germans were right offshore all the time, and there was constant spying, and they were, they were bringing in... Uh, occasionally they would find spies they were putting on the beach and all that stuff. It was really on a wartime footing, genuinely. It was blackouts every night, that kind of scene. And so I am in town one night with a buddy of mine named Nash. Uh, Nash is another story, but, uh, oh boy, have you ever, have you ever known a guy who, when he gets one drink, turns into King Kong, and he's actually Mr. Peepers? And you keep holding him by the neck. Don't, don't do it, don't, Nash! And Nash is trying to beat up this Marine who's nine feet tall. And, you know, and you, you, you hate to walk around the street and pick up feet and teeth, you know, and ears and all that. And, and bring Nash back in a bag, you know, and in a duffel sack. Well, uh, he was that kind of a guy, you know. He was a very scared guy. But, boy, all he needed was one tiny drink of corn liquor, which was, he was, he was from Nashville. Nash, yeah, Nash. And he was always saying, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for some real good corn liquor. And I'd say, No, no, Nash, no, no, no. Let's get a Coke. Nash What do you mean, man, a Coke? Well, uh, in, uh, invariably, invariably, it wound up with Nash trying to fight, fist fight, a lamppost. Uh, he really would. He would take on buildings. He would fight automobiles. Hit him with his fist. He'd get mad. He'd say, What are you looking at? And he'd go up and hit a Buick. Uh he was so so it was that kind of a scene. Well one night Nash and I were in town and and it was one of those unusual nights when, when Nash has, has kept sober. We we've gone to the show, we've gone everything and, and there was one last bus, Ed, one last bus. And and we were in a camp. This has to be explained. There was a camp next to right next to West Palm Beach that was in the jungle, literally in the jungle, way set back and it was a very secret camp. They had, more, they had more security guards, they had more security measures than they have today probably in the main chart room at the Pentagon because it was a radar camp. And in those days, radar was extremely secret. It was, it was like the atom bomb. And we were, we were radar men. And so we, every night we'd be checked into this camp and they, you had to be in absolutely on the second. If anybody was out over time, believe me, he, he was in fantastic trouble. It was not like an ordinary camp uh... and and if anybody was found walking around the camp at night uh... they had special hours when you could walk special areas you could walk in and all kinds of things very very secret and every night the camp was absolutely blacked out they turn out all the lights by a big master switch even in the barracks everything was black well it was that kind of camp well it was one o'clock in the morning we were supposed to be in no later than if we had a pass one a.m. now the last bus leaving for For camp left at something like maybe 1230, something, 1232, something like that. And it got in about five minutes before the one o'clock whistle blew. You would get through the gate, you'd show them your pass, you'd walk along the pathway, and you'd arrive at your barracks, but you had to carry that pass, man. And when you got there, pow, that was it, man. That was it. You did not leave the barracks. Well... (laughs) Nash and I go to see the movie we sit and I can even tell you what the movie was in case it's interesting to you the movie I don't know why I remember these details but the movie was Laura with Clifton Webb and Dana Andrews and Gene Tierney and so we sat through Laura and we're sitting there we're enjoying it and on the way back on the way back to the to the bus station we we leave We, we went to the early show you see so we're going to be make sure so we are waiting in line for the bus and it is now about midnight the bus is not going to leave for another half hour we the first guys in line i wonder how many guys know remember this about the south we are the we are the absolute first guys in line for the bus and we figure well you know we've got it made so we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and the line is forming up behind us until finally there's a line of about maybe a hundred people waiting for the bus, civilians and everything. You know, this this was the bus that went out in the country and dropped people off in little places. It would be the equivalent of uh, oh, uh, Fort Lee, Hackensack, Neck, and that, you know. So we're waiting in line, and there's all kinds of Florida crackers and stuff behind us, and it's hot and steamy, and we're sweating, and we're going to go back. And the place is blacked out, and the only little avenue of light is this little bus station. We're waiting there. Well, the bus comes in and it's a it's a it's a southern pre-war bus, one of these big high ones with about twenty five seats and it comes it stops and the guy gets out, opens the door, and of course, there is me there uh, there I am right in the first line and, and me and Nash are waiting. We open He opens the door, and just like that, two MPs jump out, just step right forward and say hey, get get in the real line, you guys. We're privates. Get in the rear of the line. The point is, there were about nine lieutenants. There were about nine majors and a couple of captains back there, you see. And we had to get to the back of the line. I said, what do you mean, back of the line? Well, get back of the line, Mac. Well, this guy fingers his club, and another guy figures his gun, and another guy takes a look at me, and, and Nash is standing there, a little tiny Nash. Well, we turn, we get in the back of the line. Well, I don't have to tell you. They fill the bus up. And there must have been 15 people left, including, guess who? <laughs> and it was the kind of camp, believe me, if you arrived there, it was, it was like jail. I mean, it was like jail if you overstayed your leave. So both of us rush out into this pitch-black highway and start frantically to hitchhike. We are hitchhiking like mad. Hitchhiking. Cars are going past us in the dark with the little blackout lights, you know. Ooh, they go whoa, Oh my god. Whoa, whoa. And suddenly along came a rickety nineteen forty one Ford convertible, just barreling sideways down the road. We're so out of line and it stops. Hey, get in here, you guys. Come on, soldier, get in here. Well, we go climbing in and sitting in the front seat of this little Ford convertible, our two second lieutenants bagged to the ears. They are squiffed right out of there. And, you know, we're too, too little privates. We sit in the back. Hey, man, oh, man. Hey, how about some of this corn? And I thought, oh, my God, if they give Nash a bottle, a, a slug of this corn liquor. Hey, man, hey, how about it? Come on, let's go, boy. Well, Nash, of course, smelling this like a bird dog, he's sitting in the back there. He grabs a hold of the corn liquor. And he takes one big slug, and we're sitting in the back, oh, oh, oh I'm holding Nash now. Now, easy boy, easy boy. Well, it took about 14 milliseconds for this to operate on Nash. And one of the big second lieutenants turns around, and he says, Hey, boy, what outfit are you in? There's a slight pregnant pause, and Nash says, None of your damn business. Lieutenant. Well. <laughs> well, I well, 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 well,
1: well, I, I, I. And the lieutenant says, what do you say? He's none of your damn business, what do you gonna know about it? And Lieutenant said, what are you talking about, you little squirt? You
0: little squirt, what do you mean? And Hank says, you take them bars off, you and I'll knock you down to your size." Well, with that, I said, can I get out? I live here. And I get out on the street and this car goes down and I could see yelling and hollering all the way up down. And I stood there
1: and hitchhiked and hitchhiked and hitchhiked. I arrived at camp a quarter after 11 the next day, three days in the guardhouse.